Lord, we come before you today and we need some healing. And, and whether we recognize it or not, we are desperately in need of healing. Maybe we come here today, we've been faced with a diagnosis, maybe someone in our family, maybe somebody hurting in our life, maybe that someone is us. And we need healing. But Lord, as you've been teaching us in these weeks to go to the source of what we really need, and that is the healing of your gospel, that sweet balm that, that brings salvation, that re renews our hearts and our minds and lives, not just in a temporary way, but eternally. Lord, so move among us, we pray, and may our hearts and lives be open to what you have to share. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. How many of you uh, have what you would consider to be your family doctor or general practitioner that you know by name? A lot of hands going up. Um, how many of you are on a first, base or first name basis with that, that physician? Anybody got him? Maybe you call him Doc. Maybe you call him a, a good family friend. I, I was pondering this this week. Many of you know I, I grew up in Minnesota. Have I ever mentioned that before? Um, and, uh, you know, Lester Prairie, my hometown, is about as close to Mayberry or Little House on the Prairie as it comes. I mean, it, it just really, everybody knew everybody, a town of around 1,000 people. And uh, as a kid, I mean, a great place to grow up. We, we lived about a quarter mile out of town. I'd bike in every day in the summertime, go to the pool in the wintertime. I'd uh, get a ride into town from my mom and, or my dad, and, and they'd drop me off at his friend's house, or they'd come over, we'd have play dates all the time. Um, or I'd even walk or even ski into town, or snowmobile into town sometimes when the snow was, it was just a great place to grow up. And um, there was one family in particular, the Bankies. They had, uh, they had a house kind of on the edge of town, and uh, which when the town is a thousand, edge of town is kind of everywhere. So, uh, but they had a, a skating rink every year. They would flood their garden and uh, would put the stripes in for a hockey rink and had the, the nets, the whole deal. And I had uh, received skate, skates on my, my fourth grade year for Christmas. And it was over Christmas break. I, I met with my friend Jason. We walked across town. Uh, because his house was on the other side of town. That took about five minutes. But, you know, we walked across town, hoofed it across, and uh, went to the Banky's skating rink. And we, we realized they weren't home, but no big deal. They always said to everybody, hey, just come and skate in our backyard. I mean, think about that in terms of liability today, right? <laughs> um, so we did. We were there by ourselves during Christmas break on a probably, a, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, as I recall. And I know that distinctly because... Something happened that day. Um, as Jason and I were skating, we were doing some wild, crazy move, just goofing off. And, and I recall, I, I lost my balance, and I fell backward and hit really hard, and my head hit the ice. And, and the reason I knew it was going to change life for me a little bit on that day was when I got up, and Jason, I'm like, are you okay? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Jason, where are we? Had no idea. It just kind of went into this, everything was sort of in a cloud, and, and uh, Jason was freaking out. He's like, we, we got to get home, and, and so he's walking with me, and I'm, uh, this town I grew up in, I'm like, wow, I've not, what is that over there? And I'm asking, and my dad's company, I'm like, what's that building? And, and, and he's freaking out. He's thinking, this is bad, and we get back to his house, and I remember his dad in their front room looking at me. It's like, are you okay? And he was holding up fingers and trying to ask me and who was... Uh, uh, the president, I didn't know. I mean, and I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know anything. And, and then I blacked out. Apparently, I was still conscious, but I don't remember what happened next until this flash 
of the doctor's office. Now, in Lester Prairie, we had a, a family clinic, and we had a, a town physician. His name was Dr. Smith. I mean, doesn't that sound just about right? Um, Dr. John Smith, and, in, and it was either a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday, and he met my parents and myself down at the clinic and gave up his day off. He would not normally be there, and he met us down there, and, and I had this flash of walking into the into the, the waiting room and in, into the, 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 the examination room and, and he had all these old antiques. I remember the, the blue pill bottles he had on the windowsill, which as a kid always freaked me out. You know, but as, uh, that's what I, I remember. I don't remember anything much after that until hours later when I got home and my dad was again asking me what day it was. I had no idea. We got to the house and there's a Christmas tree and I'm like, oh, it's Christmas time. That's exciting. And, and uh, that night... They, they, Dr. Smith advised my parents, you know, wake me every hour or so, because I had had a cushion, very serious, and just to keep an eye on me. And uh, he called that night just to make sure I was doing okay. He called in the morning just to make sure I was okay. And then he asked to see me uh, a day or so later just to make sure everything was okay. All by way of saying, you know, Dr. Smith was more than just a doctor to us. He really was a family friend. We, we'd go over to his house and have dinner once in a while, or we'd have him over and his wife, just dear people. They were part of our life. And, and as a doctor, he had an incredible way of being there for people. I tell you that today because we actually have that kind of thing going on in the gospel reading. Jesus is in the town of Capernaum, and we find out, and I encourage you to turn to this text, either in your worship folder or open up the worship Bibles today as we spend a little time uh, in the scripture and, and spend a time with the master physician, the great physician, Jesus. Um, as we pick it up today, um, in verse 29, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, remember last week we were in the synagogue, Jesus was there, and uh, we learned he's the great pasuke, the, the, the psychiatrist who, who actually calls out uh, the, the, the oppression as well as the uh, possession of, of demons in our life. And God has a way of having authority over that. And, and as they left the synagogue, it says that they went to Simon and Andrew's house. Um, Simon's other name, as we often know him, is Peter. You're awake today. Awesome. Yeah, Peter the Rock. And um, Simon and Andrew's house, uh, we know, is very likely was about 83 feet away from the synagogue. A lot of these sites have been preserved because they were considered very important. And from the synagogue, just a few feet away is Simon and Andrew's house. Jesus goes there, and, and he would go there often. It seems very much a place of hospitality. Peter would host uh, and, and have time there. Jesus would stay. It was kind of Peter's bed and breakfast, much like uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha was a bed and breakfast of Bethany outside of Jerusalem. They would stay at Peter's house. And, and as they go in... Um, you have there that in verse 30, a pretty personal situation is going on. This, it's home in a deep way. It says, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. Now picture this, in the front room, and, and they're, they're having some conversation, probably thinking about what just happened in the synagogue, and, and how would the conversation go? And he'd been healing people, and it's like, hey, by the way... Um, Jesus, my, my mother-in-law is really not feeling well today. Now, Luke's gospel adds an extra detail. And, of course, Dr. Luke, right, would add that it was a, a, a high fever. 
And so this was maybe, we don't know this condition of how serious it was, but in that culture, you have a high fever, it's serious no matter what. It certainly could, if not uh, treated or, or not in, in check, it, it could amount to something very serious. It could be life-threatening. We don't know that for sure of how serious it was. She might have just been having a headache for all we know. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to say, oh, she'll be fine. No, Jesus goes to the bedside. And you want to talk about a bedside manner for the great physician who is truly a general practitioner as well. He goes, as it says, goes up to her. And, and it says, read this with me. What does he do next? He what? Takes her, her hand. Now ponder this with me just for a moment. I mean, you could just read quickly through, oh, so she went, he went, he went to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Oh, big deal. No, he, we have the God of the universe who spins galaxies on his fingertips, who always has been and always was, who's come to earth in the flesh, and he has the time in his schedule to walk and do a house call on a mother-in-law of Peter early on in the ministry and goes into her bedside and takes her hand. He touches her. Now, I've heard it said, you know, one of the, the marks of a great doctor is one that doesn't just interested in the chart and in and out and one who actually spends time with a patient. And I've heard it said that great doctors take the hand of their patient to let them know they're truly there and present. And you've got the great physician here with this incredible bedside manner, holding the hand of the patient. And what a beautiful picture. I mean, can you imagine being in the presence of the Son of God, and he takes your hand, and you're having this rough day, and you're in bed, and you're ill, and you're sick, and he has the time to look you in the eye. And as Luke's gospel says, and rebuke your fever. And the fever left her. And immediately, and this is just like my mother-in-law, she got up and she was serving everybody. Probably making a meal, probably making sure everybody was okay because her manner of service and heart for people and her family was to be active in her family. And so she was. Jesus had made a difference in their home life. Pretty cool in a big way. Now it happens then that Verse 32, the evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. In fact, verse 33, the whole, what's it say? Whole town gathered at the door. Now picture this, the whole town gathering at your doorstep because Jesus had come to stay and had healed your mother-in-law, and now the whole town is gathering. Why are they there? How did they find out? This was meant to be an easy question. How'd they find out? Because people are talking. How many of you grew up in a small town? Everybody knows everything about everybody. And, and whether um, you want it to be known or not, I mean, I'd, when I'd go home to visit, sometimes would, I'd find out later it was in the Lester Prairie Journal. Mark Schwichtenberg came to visit his parents last weekend. Like, are you kidding me? That's news? Like, I mean, but that's hometown, small town life. And people couldn't help but speak about what they were seeing and what they were hearing. Uh, it wasn't weird to talk about, guess what's going on here? Something is up. This man is something special. Could it be that he is truly God in the flesh, that God has come among his people? They couldn't help but talk about it. So it is when you know a good doctor that has an amazing bedside manner. You, you can't help but talk about what a great opportunity if someone else you know is sick, you can't help but recommend them. You're like, oh, you got to go see Dr. Smith. 
He's amazing. Do you know he even makes house calls? Well, people were talking about this. Do you know about Jesus? Come see this. And they did. The whole town gathered at the door. And I think that's more than just a figure of speech. I guarantee you they were there. And it says then in verse 34 that Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And we covered a lot of that last week. But one of the words that I want to point out to you here is it doesn't say that Jesus healed all of their diseases. I I think that's significant. Mark's gospel is very careful to say not everybody was healed, but many were healed. And, And the question I think that leaves us today is, what if you're one of those that isn't healed by Jesus in terms of your body or your ailment or your condition? What do you do with that today? You know, it's easy. I, I think we, we, we like to believe this thought that, that Jesus is kind of that quick fix. And, and that, could it be that if I'm a follower of Jesus and I face a sickness or a disease, I mean, wouldn't it make sense that he would heal me, that, that I might give him praise and, and honor? I mean, wouldn't that be what Jesus would do for me? And it's possible a lot of the people were coming, and it doesn't say much that they were coming to hear him speak. They were coming possibly just because he was healing. And that's a big deal, not to underestimate the power of God who had come among his people to heal, but there was a bigger thing at work than just that. We're reminded of that truth just a bit later when, as that night ends, it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a lowly, solitary place where he prayed. And that's when Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. In other words, there's more people showing up that want to be healed of their sicknesses. And Jesus' response almost sounds kind of harsh. He says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can, what? Preach. So I might preach there also because that is why I have come. This is important today. You know, maybe you are in that place right now. You, you, are, you know very well what it is to get a bad diagnosis. Maybe you saw your doctor this week and you discovered maybe you have cancer. Maybe it's come back again and you're no longer in remission. Maybe you have a family member that's been struggling for a long time and you're watching them fall apart. And, and maybe it's Alzheimer's. Maybe it's, it's some other condition. Maybe it's even a kid or a child that is dealing with a disease or a sickness. And, and we pour out our hearts to God and we say, Lord, I mean, wouldn't it make sense that you would do what we know you can do and to have authority over this sickness and bring healing? You know, and sometimes God does. Sometimes God answers those prayers in a miraculous way. I remember um, some years ago, and I probably shared this at some point, because it had such a profound impact on me, being in India on a mission trip there and, and, and being a, in the presence of these Christians that have nothing. And you talk about uh, medical care and our concern about health care and all that stuff. They got none of that. I mean, there's like one physician for every 9,000 people, and that one physician isn't interested in helping those 9,000 people because they're helping the wealthy. There is no doctor if you're of the lower castes that, that exists there. You don't have anybody to see. Um, there is no medical care. Uh, you're left to fend for yourself. And, and what I learned there is that a lot of times in, in some of these remote villages in India, if, if a, 
a, a child of God, a representative, a disciple of Jesus walks into a village and, and says, hey, can I pray for you? People are very open to prayer. It's a Hindu culture. Uh, by population, only about 2% of the population is Christian. And, and uh, as Hindus, they, they say, well, yeah, you, you can pray for me. Like, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? Like, okay, I heard he's a good guy. That's fine. And, and, and what, what is happening again and again in India is those prayers often get answered. Um, and, and miraculously, people are healed. And, and what happens as a result of that is an entire village will come to faith in Christ because one person is healed. And you say, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And you can see the missionary heart of God is that opens up the door for people to hear and listen. What is this God? Our Hindu gods of stone don't answer like this. Who is this guy? This Jesus and how Jesus will heal. I, I was there and hearing these stories and, and one of the other pastors, uh, LCMS pastor, I just could see it happening because I'm kind of thinking the same thing. He raises his hand and he asks the question. He says, but, but how do you teach the people here uh, to uh, expect that God uh, may likely not answer their prayers? And there was this uncomfortable moment of silence in the room. And I looked over at him, and I knew exactly where he was coming from, but I, we looked among the Indian Christians, and they're looking at each other like we were from Mars, like, what are you talking about? God always answers prayers. And, and I remember just feeling kind of just broken, saying, is it possible that in a culture where we live, where we have so, so much advanced scientific medical care, and, and we have everything at our disposal, is it possible that we often have more faith in that than in God? And I think the answer has to be a resounding yes. In being so blessed, we actually lose sight of where the power of healing really comes and who really has it under his control and his authority. And our prayers really become, Lord, I doubt that you're going to heal anybody, but hey, maybe the doctors will come through. And if that's our prayer, we've missed it. And sometimes God heals, but sometimes he doesn't. Because there's something even greater going on here for us. Jesus didn't come just to heal people of the, in their bodies. In fact, you think about it, every person that he healed, that was temporary. Even the people he raised to life again, guess what? They died again. Every person that was sick that he healed, guess what? Eventually, they got sick again because this was a temporary thing. Jesus came for more than just the, the temporary he came for something eternal. I would encourage you, if you turn with me, I love this. From, we're going to go to the Gospel of, Mar of John for just a moment. There's, there's, there's an intriguing moment where Jesus puts this in perspective, and I think for all of us. In John chapter 14, those famous words where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And that's where Thomas the doubting one says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here Jesus is painting this picture of what is ahead, that he's going ahead to prepare this place. And he says, not to let your hearts be troubled. In other words, there's more to life than what we see right here. It doesn't stop there, though. Jesus goes on a few verses later in John 14. 
And, and he says this in verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. What miracles? Well, all the healings, the signs and the wonders that the, the disciples had witnessed in the ministry of Jesus as they'd spent time with him. But then verse 12, he goes on. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Let me ask you this. How can you, as a follower of Jesus, do greater things than Jesus? I mean, if we're going to trust him at his word and that he's speaking over the church and his, those who would be believers in him, how can we do greater things than what Jesus would even do? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple here. Is every time Jesus healed somebody, they got sick again eventually. Every time he raised somebody from the dead, they died eventually again. Except for one thing. When the message of forgiveness and grace in Christ, the gospel is preached and shared, and lives are transformed by the Holy Spirit's work through that word of God and that, that witness through God's people, his church. Guess what happens? Eternities are changed. Lives are healed, not just temporarily, but eternally. These are greater things. And to realize that God unleashes his church to really truly be physicians that go out and share the healing message of Christ in a way that is even greater than the healing miracles of Jesus because eternity is changed for those who hear that message by God's work through his people. It's pretty exciting when you think of that. That it's beyond just physical healing. That's, that's secondary. What's primary is eternal healing. I'm going to show you a picture in wrapping this up today. Um, I don't know who that young pastor is to the right there. I think that was me. That was a long time ago. Uh, it was like just a couple of years out of seminary. I think around, uh, what, 1999, I think. And, and this young guy next to me is a guy by the name of Sean Weber. Uh, Sean, that's on his confirmation day, great, great kid, um, amazing kid, and uh, went off to high school and uh, was at a huge, huge public high school, uh, similar in size like to Rochester or Stony Creek, large, large high school, and um, his freshman year, he was playing football and uh, had this pain in his side that wouldn't go away a couple weeks in a row, and he ended up, he went to his family physician, they did a few tests and uh, really thought, you know what, we're going to have to send you and, and get some deeper tests on this, and and they did, and they went in, and, and they discovered, um, it, was, it was just heartbreaking. Sean had bone cancer. And, you know, to be such a young guy, I mean, he was just built. And he, this was before he started lifting weights. This kid was bulking up like crazy in the next few years. And, and to be at kind of the highlight of his life and to realize he's going to battle bone cancer. Um, I remember going to visit him in the hospital. He was getting chemotherapy, lost all his hair, and, and uh, just this amazing story and his witness through that was so profound to his classmates and uh, this goes on for about two three years and I believe it was his junior year and I'd taken a call and, and moved on uh, some miles away from from that church but we kept in contact he'd email me every once in a while when he was gonna be at the hospital and asked if I'd come check in and and just keep me posted on what was going on and uh, but then it became clear when the cancer didn't go away that it was ravaging his body in such a way that it was pretty clear Sean was terminal. And uh, to make that, that story that has a lot of details we don't have time for today, but one of the most important ones that was so profound is 
In this last few weeks, Sean had begged his parents to have an open house going away party. Now ponder this. I mean, a junior in high school asking his parents to have a going away party because he was dying. And, and his parents are thinking, okay, there's only like how many thousand kids in this high school and their house, like, how is this going to work? And they're like, you know what? Who cares, Sean? You got it. Let's have a party. And uh, Sean had a reason for having this party. Um, because at the party, as, as these kids would file in, come into the door, and, and, and spend some time there, and they're in a, they had a great room. And, and uh, I, I didn't have a chance to be there, but I, I heard from um, the other pastor, Pastor Yonker. He said, you know, he walked in, and he saw, here's Sean with his huge circle of huge football players and cheerleaders and, and soccer players and, and, and band and, 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 and science kids. I mean, just everybody in the school all gathered around in a huge huddle around Sean. And he said, he could see him there. And there's Sean preaching. And saying, guys, I want to be in heaven with you one day. And I know something that i got to share with you. I'm, I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm sick, but you know what? God has given me healing. And it's a healing that goes beyond what you see in my broken body. Because I know that I'm going to stand before Jesus because of his grace, because of his love, and his willingness to be wounded in my place. And there Sean is saying, and I want to be in heaven with you one day. I think Sean understands something. And he does fully today because he's been with Jesus ever since just a few weeks after that when God took him home to heaven. You know, in God's economy of, of, of healing people, and sometimes he doesn't always heal us in the body, but you know what he's in the business of doing? His bedside manner comes right to where we are today and he heals our souls to know that with a certainty we will be with him and he'll be with him forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your incredible promise and healing as the master physician that you are. And that great physician that you are, you, you are a general practitioner that comes and makes house calls right where we are today. Lord, come into the, the home of our hearts and to our families in the brokenness and the pain and whatever is ravaging our lives right now that, Lord, you would break through with the peace that goes beyond the peace of this world, a peace that is based in eternity. Secure that faith in us today. Renew it for us again fresh today as only you can in the eternal healing that is ours in Christ. We pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.